0: You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty.
1: To stimulate your thinking.
0: You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual Intellectual Erection. to the stimulate your thinking. Welcome back to Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick, and today I'm speaking to Sin N. J. Rise of Rise Kink.
1: Yeah, like he would touch me, like in behind my knee, and I could orgasm. He could huh. look at me now. I mean, then not so much, but now, yeah.
0: I'm going to avoid eye contact with him for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is a bit of an unusual episode, and you'll see what I mean when you start listening to it. It is quite a story, and you are going to be along for a ride. We're not just going to be talking about kink and sex positivity. We're going to talk about some difficult intersections of homelessness and suicide and addiction. And if you wonder how all these fit into the picture, you'll just have to listen. It's a powerful episode, and you're about to go on a journey. Remember to go on patreon.com slash intellectual erection to check out all the extras that you don't get to hear in the regular podcast. Become a patron and you can get access to that content. It helps support the podcast or just go out there and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Share the episodes with your friends. Share them on social media. It really does help a lot. And I will be at Oasis doing an intro to kink talk on Monday, March 30th and then another one on Polyamory on Monday, April 6th. Check out the events on their webpage, and hopefully they're still going to happen. Who knows what's going on with this pandemic. As always, listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with... J-Rise.
1: And Cynthia.
0: Jay rise and Cynthia, who reached out all the way from the Instagram to come and talk to well, to me and to the listeners, about actually a few things. We're going to be talking about kink and body shaming. We're going to be talking about your business. And I heard you uh, published a book. Yeah, we did. Okay, so why don't we start this way? What is it that you do?
2: I rise things. (laughs) (laughs) I give advice. I'm a consultant. I help empire builders build empires, mega brands. Um, I always help... Top tier ambitious CEOs. I don't really deal with, you know, anything less. Ooh, <laughs> this is a power. Yeah,
1: he's uh, he's for the elite because he's elite. Elite. Yes. Okay, and right. not
2: elitist. No, <laughs> Come no. on, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we'll find out how you can be elite without being elitist.
1: <laughs> um, and I run Rice Kink, and um, it's a t-shirt shop. Uh, kink apparel, and I'm also a kink coach, and um, I write our blog as well. Okay. And um, <laughs> we met online, and he, we started collaborating on the book. That was that was the first thing we did together, and it's kind of grown from there to a business together. So, and uh, so he's my partner.
0: Yay! <laughs> Jay Rise raises his hand. you're here taking ownership of his part in this relationship ownership (laughs) I like it good I'm glad that word triggered you a little bit (laughs) Um, okay so this is not a brick and mortar shop I presume this is an online store I've seen some of your products if you go to the Instagram pop it in here really quick what is it?
1: it's rise kink R-Y-Z-E kink
0: yeah rise kink on Instagram you'll see some t-shirts generally around kink Uh, positivity and things like that, right? Yes. Now, what is this book you wrote?
1: Well, it's called Soaring Beliefs, and um, it's based on his Instagram. So it's the world's first coffee table personal development book. Um, And when we met, um, I saw him in a video, in an interview uh, on YouTube, and um, so I went and found him on Instagram, and he had like 500-something posts then, so I went down to the very first one and started reading and I was super impressed with his beliefs mm-hmm. about body, about people, and just in general about everything like business, just art, everything. I mean, he it has different opinions and beliefs than anyone else I've ever met in my entire life. So <laughs> every single post I really was. Do. Yeah, every single post was fire. And I said to myself, why? nobody know who he is. like why it's why this is all free on Instagram why mm-hmm. so I hit him up and was like I need to do something with this like you have to the whole world needs to see your amazing words and no, no, just my CEO
2: clients need to see <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I um so like he's like no he he told he turned me down I was like no no uh-uh, no I'm not interested thank you and I'm very persistent and I don't give up when I want something. So um, I kept bugging him, I guess. I kept sending emails and like we kept talking. And um, and so finally he, he agreed. I caved. <laughs> and we
2: made a book. <laughs>
1: yes. Um, and it's on our Instagram. And the link in our bio takes people to our all of our links. And like, and I don't know there. if you
2: know, but if you ever read in Tony Robbins or Napoleon Hill or any of the personal development books, uh, chicken soup for the soul or whatever, there are always these like 300 page books of black and white text telling you how to live life or something. Uh, but they, they, I don't think they really make a huge impact. I mean, I think they could be better. I'm like, I saw room for them to be better. And so the idea was to put like, like have a beautiful coffee table book. Like you turn the pages and it's like, it's mint, right? The beautiful photo. And like, a short little blurb and you don't need 300 pages to improve you could you could expand your life and your horizons in 30 pages mm-hmm. so it's it's like a thin 32 page book 33 something like that the pages are black like glossy with beautiful photos and uh next to each photo is one of my unique perspectives on life and Like it could be kink, sex, money, wealth, power, uh, body transformation. Do you have some examples of these? I mean, I got. I can't. I can't turn it off. (laughs) We should have brought a copy. But uh, I
1: didn't even think about bringing it with us.
2: uh, Like, one of my beliefs is that the human body is a miracle. Every single cell, like we have trillions of cells, has vast immense power and can do practically anything i mean i'm sure there's some limitations but we haven't even come close to tapping into it and the same way you control your hand or your foot uh your your brain can control the all of the cells so like you can reduce whatever anything cancer weight anything that's an issue you can you can uh, amplify anything that you want and there's like if you explore it there's countless examples of people who've done this Um, But they're usually dismissed for one reason or another. There's always a dismissal. But when you look at it in aggregate, or if you look at um, primitive tribes or like different tribes, they don't have the health issues we have. And people will write them off like, oh, it's just pollution. But like, the idea is if you explore the power, like cellular power that we all have, or that animals have, or that kids have, like kids heal super fast. um, If you explore that, you know, the, the the horizons are, like, limitless.
1: So when we met, um, I was size 24, and I'm a size 10, 8, 10 now. And I didn't change my diet, and I didn't change anything. I just changed my beliefs. That was all it took was for me to believe that my cells could change, and they did. Um, And... I was also taking medication for rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia and I had a heart condition and and I changed all those things on my own. I was able to turn it all around because I changed my beliefs. So I no longer have issues with my joints. I no longer have fibromyalgia issues. I no longer have a problem with my heart. um, I no longer have anxiety, depression, all of it I've been able to. Cure it myself with um, with belief in myself and yeah yeah
2: so that's you asked for an example that is is page seven
1: well that
0: that for me is a really difficult example because I come from the side of absolute cynicism and skepticism specifically about spiritual beliefs that to me sound like magic so without diminishing the quality of your experience I just don't believe this possibility and i don't i don't know what leap of um conviction i would need to make to be able to have sufficient evidence for something like that actualizing without still being able to point to you know counterexamples.
2: yeah it's cool like we're not out to i'm not out to persuade anybody right uh it's more about like if you want to better your life and yourself give it a shot right it's like if someone tells me I can throw a free pointer, three pointer from this line and I've never done it and I don't believe I can do it and it looks way hard and he's a basketball player, and he's Michael Jordan and I don't believe it's like, it's like whatever, I, like no way in hell, but we could debate it all day long. He could be like, yes, you can. I could be like, I don't believe it. I have countless evidence. I've missed every shot in my entire life. He could be like, I've landed every shot and I've helped other people do it. Clash of views, clash of views. It doesn't matter. If I want to be a better basketball player, It's in my best interest to step up to the line and try what he says or try the technique. And if I get close, wow, maybe it's possible. If if I'm miles away, maybe he's wrong. But like you put it to an empirical test, not a... uh... Right,
0: right. So in this case, I've not come across anything specifically convincing in empirical studies that demonstrate, for example, the ability for one to heal their own body in the absence of what might be called a placebo effect.
2: Yeah. No, it uses the placebo effect. But the placebo effect is a, like a totally understandable, relatable, scientifically, empirically proven thing. So if it gets results, placebo effect with the three point line or not, like if it gets results, what does anyone care, right? But it only works if you, as an individual, go try it. Try the placebo effect, like try to placebo yourself into something. And if it works, you're a total believer. And if it doesn't, you're a skeptic. Like you remain a skeptic, but.
1: Yeah, before we The met, trying I, is what matters. Right. Before we met, I would have been like, yeah, sh- sure. But um, I thought, well, I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. I hate my life. I hate my body. I hate everything. I mean, I was in a, in a relationship. I was very unhappy. Like, everything sucked for me. So, all I had to do was try. Like, why not? I had nothing else to lose. Everything else sucked. Couldn't suck any harder. So, <laughs> why not? And then things just started getting better.
2: Yeah, and the risk to reward is insane. Like, what are you risking? Right. Nothing. Exactly. A little bit of time. Maybe you look foolish for a second. I don't know. But what do you what do you gain? It's huge. So then, when you propose it to someone and they're still like hesitant to do it, it's like I'm not going to convince this person. Like, the risk to reward is like it's a gimme, dude. Just try it. Like, just open your mind and try it. But if they're still like, no.
0: My skepticism isn't necessarily about the efficacy of what I'll classify as a whole bunch of self-help techniques, right? The technologies of self-help do exist, and there is efficacy to some extent. My skepticism is around the control factor, the ability to control these things and to demonstrate efficacy in all sorts of groups of people. Now, I'm fairly privileged in that I do not have the conditions where I'm desperate enough to try to seek out these technologies for myself. I do acknowledge their efficacy in some circumstances. My skepticism is more just about, for example, presenting this idea to somebody who has, who's really desperate.
2: Oh, they'll try it.
0: Yeah, but for whom it doesn't work Say somebody who's really sick has cancer or something, and then they invest the time in a technique like this rather than medicine. That's where my worry is, and like stuff like that.
2: Five minutes a day or something. Like, what, like this is the risk-reward thing. They're not losing anything from this investment. They're bedridden and like <laughs> depressed. Like, uh, it's like lay here and do nothing, wait for the doctor, or try this thing. Like, what's a more efficient use of time? Well,
0: like I said, there's there's at least
2: exhaust the new.
0: There's certainly space for these sorts of technologies to work Mm -hmm. i mean i know i've read studies on even just positive thinking in uh, cancer patients helping out their their results and i've read studies on placebo effects and what it can do the only issue is that it's hard for people in the scientific community to to kind of manipulate those variables effectively like it's more so that they're surprised when it can happen And there's so many interfering factors in the way that variables kind of intersect, whereas even somebody who is positively thinking cannot beat all kinds of cancer. They beat some kinds of cancer. It improves their rates of survival by some percent, right? But as we know, all these studies are done on large scales. So you basically get an average, which doesn't mean much for the individual. It doesn't mean it can help you as an individual. It means that this technique might work. So that's that's just generally my background and my skepticism yeah. without without trying to challenge sure, no. challenge like, your agree
2: to disagree yeah. whatever you just ask for an example from the book yeah that's absolutely yeah. absolutely um yeah. I have examples about like wealth generation or examples about uh beauty well, the the like the beauty industry like you know it's it's whatever um is there a place where
0: this comes to intersect with kink
2: uh the book specifically wasn't targeted at kink when we wrote it but there's a few pages about sex and sexuality and and beauty and body transformation so like there's some intersection there um
1: but i was still lying to myself then like i was still not admitting what i wanted and who i was when we put the book together when when he wrote the book.
2: Yeah, so she wouldn't talk about anything kinky. (laughs) (laughs) I see, I see. It
1: it was, uh, yeah, I was afraid. I was afraid to admit it to anybody.
2: So
0: this was a problem of of shame and guilt, I take it. Yes, Hence the t-shirts and the business that followed. Yes. So tell me a little bit about the business then.
1: Well, um... It started because well, it we started rise gear. Yeah, we started with this. Yeah, this. Was... Oh,
0: I see. Okay, so to describe this to the to the listeners. Oh yeah. Okay. J. Rise is wearing a dark green T shirt done in the style of
2: Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's the periodic table of elements, and and the first element is R Y, and the next element is G E. Yeah, and yeah. then it was rise gear.
1: Yeah. So it was it was basically. Um, Apparel to um, to help entrepreneurs. It was um, to help them change their beliefs, um, positive, af- not affirmations, um, messages. And um, Jay works with Evan Carmichael, who is. Um, Great guy. Yes, he's a YouTuber who has like what, 2 million subscribers. Maybe 2.5 now. Something like that, yeah. And he's in personal development and. So we use some of his quotes and and he has a line on our site. And, the Evan Carmichael line. Yeah, Evan Carmichael.
2: But it's um, weird to have it on a kink site. Yeah. What is the line? It's like Evan shirts, right? Evan's helps entrepreneurs and he's a motivational speaker and stuff. So there's like, you know, goals over convenience or whatever, you know, some kind of like be a be a rebel like claim your destiny kind of shirts or whatever. Not kinky at all. Yeah. It's like this side little little section on the site <laughs> as a tribute to evan um
1: but yeah but the whole thing started like that like yeah that's it how was, it whole, the... yeah and um i just it wasn't like i put a lot of love into it but there was something missing for me and he, like i admitted to him what i was into like um because i was a dom for 23 years and um I didn't want to admit that I was submissive or that I'm that I'm a slave. I was afraid to be seen as weak and I was ashamed, embarrassed. And I don't want to tell everybody, like my family and my friends, and so he came out and I like it was bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And he one day he was like, Hey, like I feel like you want right like you you want the shirts to be kinky, like the shop to be kinky, but you're hiding it and i was like what <laughs> like how did you know he and i still i don't know and he was right so he asked me I'm always right yeah he <laughs> asked me if we wanted to if i wanted to rebrand and turn the shop kinky and i said yes after 2 days of lots of tears and still ashamed and not sure and what should i do and then i just decided to do what he always tells me which is to follow my feelings and since then we've had tons of momentum i've been happy i've made money i've
2: on the way here some like a bunch of more models were like yo can we wear your clothes what can we yeah so So
0: what are what are some examples of the of the slogans on the t-shirts
2: on the old original Rise Gear shirts or on the new, like, the Rise Kink? The Kink. Yeah, okay. okay. The Kink.
0: Let's go for the Kink. Yes. Right.
2: So, uh, I think you just posted gag, gag order today. Yeah. So, it's a gag order shirt. Um, and I, actually, that one has no slogans. It's just a, a picture of a ball gag. Um, there's one that just says boobs. Because
1: <laughs> boobs are valuable. <laughs> they are. So, it ends with a dollar sign.
2: Yes, actually, it says boobs, but the S is a dollar, is
1: a dollar, dollar sign. sign. Yeah. Mm. That was actually the very first shirt that started the that whole started kink the, thing. That started the whole thing, yeah. Um, and we have um, one th- says rope bunny. Yeah. And
2: it's like the letters, the rope bunny, are made of rope. Right. And then there's like a little bunny ears also made of rope. How cute. Um, yeah. That went pretty well. One says oral fixation. Well, it just says fixation, but there's a giant <laughs> set of lips over top of it. Like open really mouth. sexy open mouth lips. Yeah. So it's like something fixation, kind of like your shirt, right? Like lick me till I scream, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Amazing, right? <laughs> um. So it's kind of kind of a similar. Half the word, and the rest is by a, a symbol.
0: Okay, so we have all these T-shirts, which relate in some way to your personal lives. Now. We should get into your personal lives because I totally skipped the origin question, which I typically do with everybody. No
1: worries. (laughs) So let's go into that one.
0: And I would like to know if you'd like to share the first time that you remember as a child encountering sex or sexuality, when you first became aware of its existence in the world and what impact that might have had on you.
1: Um, I was 10. I was at my godmother's house. And my mom and them were in the living room or in the kitchen. And I was trying to watch TV. I was just trying to figure out the television. And I guess there was there was porn in the VCR. And... <laughs> VCR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just turned on like I had no idea. And I was like, what the hell? So I turned it down really low so they wouldn't hear because they were in the other room. And I watched the whole thing and... um yeah so i was really fascinated by it and
0: you got to watch a whole
1: porn i got to watch the whole thing (laughs) i mean i fast forwarded it because i was like nervous that they were going to come in the room but they were drinking coffee and talking and they weren't paying any attention to me whatsoever i'm how old were
2: you when you watched the whole porn
1: 10 yeah
0: damn
1: yeah i was young
0: (laughs) and what impact did that have on you (laughs)
1: Um, well, I'm a kinky freak now, so, I mean... (laughs) I think we're skipping a few steps there, but... (laughs) Well, uh, for for a long time, I only listened to porn with the sound off because of that. I didn't realize that until I was an adult that that was why, but, like, I didn't want anyone to ever hear it. If I did watch, it was... Or if I did listen, it was with headphones on or, like, really down... Even when I was home alone in the house and there was nobody around, I just, like, that kind of... I think like put some shame in me because I knew right away it was something I wasn't supposed to be watching I knew it was like my mother would have a heart attack if she walked in the room and I mean I had been exposed to um I, I had had a sexual trauma when I was younger but um like I didn't equate what it was I was too young I didn't know that that's what what it was so yeah seeing seeing that and I couldn't stop thinking about it either so I kind of Looked for porn in other places. When I went to like other people's houses, I was comfortable with my my dad or my stepfather's house, and yeah. So, <laughs> so you
0: found a guilty pleasure,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you wanted to hide it away from prying ears because you knew that if you were to get caught, it would likely not turn out well.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I I hear
2: this <laughs> similar story a lot. J rise, I I feel like. Uh, if you ask this question to most of your guests, I, I'm, I'm imagining most of the stories sound the same because uh, in our culture generally as a child, you're, no one's going to learn about porn and sex and sexuality from their parents. I mean, the odd like hippie parent is probably going to do it, but for the most part, that's not where people are going to learn about it from. So what's the most uh, ubiquitous thing left? Media, right? right? TV, or magazines, or whatever was back then. So, for me, playing right into that, <laughs> uh, I... my The first thing I remember is, we used to, like, on cable, we used to have all these channels, but then there was, like, five or ten channels that were scrambled. I remember that. I don't know if that's still a thing, like Netflix. The scrambled porn? Yeah. yeah I remember yeah, yeah. that. And, I mean, it, like... It was unwatchable, like unbearable stuff.
0: Yeah. You'd catch a nipple between the fuzz. Uh, I'm saying. Yeah. Exactly. I remember. I remember.
2: (laughs) Uh, uh, But, you know, anytime parents were out, I'm flicking through the channels, and it's like, what's this scrambled stuff? And you put it on for a while, or you put it on long enough, and in the daytime, it was nothing. Like, you watch the scrambled stuff, you're like, meh, whatever. Back to video games or something useful. Like more compelling. But if you watch the scrambled stuff like at 9 or 10 or 11 or midnight, then it was porn. Like it was sex films or pay per view or something. And so you could, but you could hear. They didn't scramble the audio.
1: Right.
2: Right. So I just remember feeling like, this feels awesome. Like, (laughs) and so I don't know. There's a short phase. Like, obviously, I wanted to get more of it and I wanted to see, not just listen. But like, I'd take what I could get. So as a kid, I'm just like jacking off to like scrambled pay per view softcore porn or
0: something. Um, Isn't that hilarious? You were seeing it not hearing it. <laughs> and you were hearing it not seeing it.
2: Did not even think about that. You're having think totally about
0: that. different experiences, but if you put them together, you get a whole experience. You get a total,
2: yeah, <laughs> total experience. immersion.
0: Well, then that, that kind of brings this neatly into the follow up question, which is how you got involved in sex positive communities. And I don't know if that happened with you together, but did video and audio
2: meet at some point? <laughs> <laughs> the, the merging of video and audio.
1: I am still very um, shy about the volume of the porn that I watch. However, <laughs> like, I have kids, so I was always careful. With them. They don't live with me right now, but when I was living with them, I was always very careful because I know through the headphones you could still hear stuff. So now, like in the last few months, I'm learning to not care and unplug the headphones and listen as loud as I feel like. So,
0: does this have an effect at all on you and your ability to vocalize pleasure? Or does that not go into that territory?
1: No, I don't think I have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Rice, That's can a good you question. can you attest? I, I can I
2: can confirm. Yes, uh, volume is not an issue. So how did uh,
0: how did you two become involved in the sex positive yeah, community? so right?
2: kink BDSM. Uh, so I I was raised by like pretty Christian conservative parents. We weren't really supposed to talk about that or anything. Uh, and I think that really just makes someone want to talk about it more. I'm I'm pretty sure if you repress or restrict or limit anybody, it just makes them want to talk about it. <laughs> so, I, like, I don't know what people are expecting when they do that. And my parents are amazing. I just... It was just... It's just a peculiar approach. Um, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> similar <laughs> well, I mean, similar upbringing King, and here. I'm talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Talking about it all the time. Uh, so... But, uh, like, I didn't immediately go out and join any kind of, like, sex-positive community or culture or anything. I just had the desire. Like, it's like, okay, I want to talk about this stuff. And I went through a lot of ups and downs. I was homeless for two and a half years, uh, running my business on the streets of Toronto. Like, it was was pretty rough. And you kind of, like, lose all shame like you're like cleaning yourself in like a public bathroom or like trying to figure out like ways to like not beg people for money but acquire it somehow like it's just it's crazy you're, you're spending all your time in like a library or a restaurant trying not to look you know conspicuous like i i haven't been here for 12 hours what are you talking about um and you learn to accept like failure like if you i failed at life, i failed at business, i failed at everything like even though my whole life i, I was like Super high IQ, gifted program, all this stuff, and I, I couldn't make ends meet or do anything. Um, and so I kind of made peace with everything. It's like whatever. I might as well just die or just lay here or give up on life or something. Uh, so during that time, I wasn't particularly sexually active, like. But I I realized that if I do end up sticking around the planet Earth somehow. And somehow get out of this hole. Um, I could talk about anything. It won't matter. None of this matters. Like, well, my parents are going to say something. Like, whatever, man. I've been through everything. So, from that point on, I was just like, meh. I'll talk about whatever. I'll write about whatever. I don't care. But I didn't uh, actively seek it out. Like, I still... Like had the desire to talk about things, but if it, the opportunity didn't present itself, I don't care. So I, I didn't care one way or the other, but totally willing. And then when Sin, uh, like when we met and and it turned out that she was really into it and like, she didn't want to sell the clothes unless they were kinky. Like, I'm like, all right, I guess now's a chance for me to talk about it. So I just start talking about it. Like, oh, you want to talk about Dom Sub? Fine. You want to talk about DDLG fine you want to talk about spanking fine you want to talk about piss play fine you want to talk about pet play fine you want to talk about edge play fine and so now like I had the opportunity to talk about all these things because because someone wanted to talk about it and I didn't have any any more restrictions or limits personally so uh, I guess that combination made it happen and so now with the kink business I mean you can't not be involved I think like (laughs) It's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, having a rap career and not being involved in the music industry or having a engineering career and not be in the engineering community. Like you just,
0: right. So do you mind if I ask about the conditions of that got you in and out of homelessness? Because I've never had the opportunity to talk to somebody about that. Happy to do it. Yeah. If you don't mind.
2: Yeah. No, I'd love to, um, Uh, So, so like I said, I was super smart in school and I was super popular because I was good at so many things uh, that I used that, like I kind of hoard my talents out for friends. So every, every group loved me, jocks, music hall peeps, whatever. And I was used to sort of, I don't know, I was used to things working out for me. And I was used to learning fast. Uh, school wasn't a challenge. I could skip and still pass everything. Uh, teachers were boring. I could like out teach them myself. I was like super cocky and arrogant teenager, super cocky and arrogant. And when you're super cocky and arrogant, it sets you up for some pretty rough times. Like it doesn't seem like that at first, but eventually. And so out of school, like I had a super high paying job doing web design and stuff. And my my friends were in, in university and, I'm like, what, you know what are you guys doing? I'm making bank. Again, karma will hit you for this <laughs> this kind of attitude. Uh, so that eventually petered out, and I, I ended up bouncing around retail jobs for a long time, a bunch of years. And I, I was super good at them. like it, it was easy to get promoted or like be a manager, but I hated them. Like they're like boring, menial tasks that I'm not I wasn't passionate about. Um, but I could do them. And so, uh, like I moved out sometime during that time and I was getting by and then I just got fed up one day and I was fed up with my girlfriend at the time and I was fed up with all the retail jobs and I was fed up with everything and still cocky and arrogant as like I'll be. And I was just like, screw this. And I just, uh, threw it all away. So I dumped the girlfriend and quit the job in the same week. I want to say it might have been night. Yeah, Yeah. Really, it was crazy, but then I had nothing. I had a little bit of savings. And so the savings ran out really quick. And then I had, I had no home. Like I couldn't pay my rent and I didn't have a career or a job and I didn't have a girl and I didn't have any friends. Like I lost, like I was just, it was just a bad situation. And so I moved in with my aunt for a little while. And while I was staying with her, I met another girl and I thought like things were kind of okay. I mean, it wasn't an ideal situation. I I'd sleep in like a closet in my aunt's house or something. Uh, and eventually she had to move or something. I remember having a big fight with her. I can't remember over what. She's a wonderful lady. I, But she, I, I know she treated me pretty poorly on, on that time because she, like she's like, I can't give you a place. And I was like, well, fine, but can we work something out? She was like, no, just get out. I was like, because <laughs> she basically kicked me out on the street uh, and that's pretty hardcore. Uh, and so from that point on, for the next two and a half years, I was homeless trying to make ends meet. Um, but I had, I had a few businesses at the time. Like I had a web design business and I had a art business and I had a, like just various things. Um, I was blogging for a while and like always scraping by and then I started consulting and offering advice and coaching and stuff and I was like a homeless life coach because no one, no one knew because I was like really discreet about it? yeah discreet where were you sleeping? oh man uh, McDonald's was a, a good one because Which one? there was a big uh, McDonald's outside the ROM or the yeah the ROM I think uh, it's cl- closed now but it was, I look for 24 hour McDonald's a lot of the time because you can go there and for a dollar or $2, you can get a coffee and now you're a paying customer and most McDonald's won't care. As long as the seats aren't empty, like they're make, they're like, great. People are, I mean, customers are here, I guess. Um, and if you don't look like some vagrant, they usually won't kick you out. If you're like, if you can dress like a little nice and like stay shaven, but you'd have to bob around because you can't just go to the same one every night. Yeah. Cause then they'll be like, yo, dude, what the hell you're here all the time. And then I would try other, like, uh, like Fran's restaurant. Franz is 24 hours. So I'd find all the 24-hour places. Seven West, 24 hours. Um, and then eventually I found internet cafes. And they, they love, like, they just, for them, they just want people in the chairs paying by the hour, right? Um, but in order to, like, not get overrun with homeless people, like me, uh, they would sort of kick you out if you fell asleep. But... I try to build up, like, positive relationships with them and, like, be friendly during the day so that when I came back at night, they're like, oh, you know, Jay, Jay's back. Hey, man, try not to fall asleep again this time. Like, so, like, just creative ways. to give you but, a break. Yeah. yeah, but there was lots of times when I had to just sleep on a bench or a park or, like, I, I had this big backpack of stuff with me and you could, I could use it as a pillow. So, if I found, like, a nice patch of grass or, like, some newspapers I could put down, then I could throw the backpack behind as a pillow. So it's just, like, a lot of outdoor nights, too. Um, indoor was, like, a treat. It's, like, you know, sleep outdoor three and then, like, indoor one or outdoor two and indoor one, like.
0: Yeah. And then the winter, I guess. It just oh, it was crazy.
2: Yeah. Winter is when you have to find the McDonald's and the 24-hour restaurants and the internet cafes. And occasionally I go to, a, like, a friend, like, once a month or something because you never want, like, I don't want them to know I'm homeless. And then I don't want to abuse their hospitality. And then. And it's like, you know, you're wearing the same clothes, like, you haven't shaved, like, it's like, uh, I'll just see him next month after I can put together a haircut. Like, all these, like, weird things to keep the keep the facade alive. Um, Sounds like a rough time. It was insane, dude. <laughs> like, actually insane. You're, you're finding, like, uh, Himalayan salt, like, a giant pack, like, just lugging it around with you so you can, like, brush your teeth and, like keep up hygiene, like little, little thing of tea tree oil, like you're rationing it out. Cause I don't want to be like, cause I do everything well, like I aim for excellence. So like even if I'm going to be homeless, I'm going to, I'm going to be good at being homeless. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've
0: thought about this in my own head. I'm like what I would do in those conditions. And it's exactly these sort of like survival mechanisms to try to appear as though I'm not actually homeless because that would be the most strategic way to, to kind out. of get out. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I guess a lot of people who don't have any compassion for the homeless are like, "Well, why are they so ratty and whatever?" I'm like, "Well, a lot of homeless people tend to have mental health issues that they can't address if they're out on the street, and then the rest you just don't see, right? right. So you, the yeah, ones so that you assume only see the ratty yeah, ones, see those, right? Yeah. You you can only assume the ratty ones are homeless, or the only homeless ones are the ratty yeah. ones because those are the ones that, yeah.
1: So when you asked me for the photos, yeah, he sent me a bunch of photos. Oh, this is good and i one of the photos that i sent was from when he was homeless
2: but i looked but you can awesome you had
1: no idea i had no idea i i looked like can't. a model dude yeah it's, it's, i love that photo but i had no idea that and i'd seen it before yep, yep that's the one i
0: found it so in this photo you're wearing a clean leather jacket you have a scarf that's also pristine yep you're wearing a pair of glasses yep your hair is longer than it is now i know i, I yeah. couldn't get a haircut. uh yeah. you're sh- you look very clean and presentable and there's no reason what i would ever think no one would know f- yeah right that you were yeah that was taken almost- by a
2: professional photographer who also didn't know
0: mm. <laughs> no. well, There
2: you go. i met him on craigslist and we trade i gave him some help with branding and web stuff and he was like okay i'll take a photo of you and I'm like great, thank you. I'm not homeless. The long
0: hair looked good, by the way. So I'm gonna post this on Instagram as, yeah. as part of uh, as part of the set for this uh, this interview. Appreciate it. So um, people can uh, can see what homelessness
2: can look like. It can look awesome. I, yeah. I had I had multiple homeless people stop and ask me for money as I like walk by. Well, I had a giant pack on, yeah. but other than that, other than that, I looked mint. And they're like, "Can I have money?" And I'm like, "Dude," like I didn't say this, but in my head, I'm like, "I have less." money than you right now today you have more in your hat or your cup yeah i should be asking you i'm not going to eat today i'm not going to sleep today and you're asking me for money but appearances can be deceiving
0: so eventually did you get out is this a separate story from when you two met or did that intersect this is
2: this happened this is is like decades ago ago for me Hmm. um but uh like yes had some dark nights in the soul. I remember crying in an abandoned mall bathroom all night because I decided that if I was failed at everything i'm like I'm not valuable to society or the planet, and I'm obviously not gonna like get out of this or find a career. This is like at the end of the two years or something two and a half years It was like towards the it was like around the two year mark towards the end of the two and a half years and I was like, well, I'll, 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 I'll just end it. Right. Like I'll just commit suicide. I'll just kill myself. Um, but my natural personality has always been, and always will be to do the, do things well. So I was homeless. Well, and so I'm going to, I'm going to end it well. So I'm not doing some messy splatter your brains on the concrete thing. I'm not being one of those jagoffs who like stop the trains for everybody. It's like, now, like the entire city's on hold for your, your thing or whatever. Like this is to me, this is like low, a low class way of, he's of so ending it, He's so super considerate, even when he's
1: trying to end yeah, his life. trying
0: to engineer the best way to end your life. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, I mean, in a nutshell, that's kind of what we're all trying to do. I mean, trying to and engineer and the best your, way to end the grand our lives. Of, like,
2: yeah, on a long timeline. Yeah. we are indeed. Uh, so I just took it to a little further. But, uh, uh, so I was exploring all these, these options, like doing research on the net. I spent a lot of time in the Toronto public library. They saved my life. Um, and I settled on, I found a drug. I mean, should I even mention it? Like, is it, am I encouraging other people? To, like, anyways, I found a drug called phenopentobarbital or something or pentophenobarbital. I can't remember now. It was, it was something like that, uh, that, Vets use to put down animals. It's the most humane way to end it. And there's an institute in Switzerland or Sweden, Swiss? Swiss Institute? Called Dignitas that helps people die with dignity. It's mainly for, like, cancer patients in pain or, like, uh, like Alzheimer's people or elderly yeah, or Iron Lawn or something. Yeah, yeah right. Um, but it's legal there, and they use it. And I'm like, well, I, I'm onto something. I have found the best method and the best people who do it, and they do it for a career. And I can, like, and I found a source for it in Mexico, <laughs> Latino gang, and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I was like, okay, I, I finally, I'm finally, I'm like, I can at least do this right. But I saved up like the 400 bucks it costs for a, a dose or a shipment or whatever. And that 400, like, could last me for, like, I could stretch that for two months. So that's, like, two months of security. Well, security. Miserable. Miserable security. But two months of life. Yeah. Or I could use it to end it. So this is this crazy gamble. Like, I don't know. But it shouldn't really matter if I'm dead. Uh, So I I committed to doing it. But there was one piece missing. I had to have somewhere to ship it. I couldn't get a P.O. box because I had no ID and no place of residence and nothing to show anyone uh i couldn't like ask a friend because as soon as i i have to tell them i'm homeless or, or i have to tell them like why i'm borrowing maybe i could make up some excuse but when it ships and the box comes in with the vial in it and it's pharmaceuticals or whatever like this is just a bad conversation waiting to happen like oh are you trying to kill yourself hey man Like, like i end up in some system or something like so i'm like i've done everything but i can't I'm too, I'm too homeless to ship this anywhere. Uh, so I was just bawling like in the abandoned mall bathroom at this point. I'm like, this is, this is laughable. I don't know, laugh or cry, but like, and I'd already like begged my parents for like money here and there, like two or three times. And like every time it just kills me because I'm a pretty prideful, dignified guy, right? Like snot pouring down my face. Can I have one more month's rent? Like, So like, it's like, no, this isn't happening. Like I'm either going to succeed and get out of this homeless hole on my own or I'm not. So I felt like at the end of my rope and the next day, uh, since I didn't kill myself, I mean, what do you do? (laughs) Well, now I don't know what to do. (laughs) Like I'm at a loss. So I ended up laying in the park. It was summer, uh, and it was scorching hot. And I didn't have like shorts or like anything nice. I was just in my leather, hot leather jacket. The only thing I had and like, I'm laying in the scorching heat and I laid there for uh, like the entire day, like bed sore level. Like I don't, I think I got up to piss at a tree and then sat back down, but I hadn't eaten anything. So it didn't really matter. And then I did it again the next day. And by the end of like the next day, I thought I might die of starvation like oh maybe I could fast it'll be gentle but I was uh, I actually got super hot and bored because uh, it's really hard to do nothing as a a human being Uh, I don't know what the what the cutoff line is or if there's studies done on this or, or whatever but you take a group of people and try to get them to do nothing for x amount of time like I'm telling you man one of the hardest things ever. So I had to do something and I was boiling hot. So I went and found shade in a library. And while I was there, I was like, eh, pull up my laptop and fuck around on the net or whatever. And, uh, I came across Evan Carmichael's business forums, entrepreneur forums. And here I am like trying to like failing to run a business, barely scraping by. And there's all these people asking all these questions and every question I knew the answer to, I'm like, you know, like, how do I get more clients? And it's like, I know the answer, (laughs) but like, how do I get more clients? I'm homeless and I can't get my own. Should I, should I answer this? Like it feels super hypocritical, like the homeless life coach or whatever. And so I started giving advice. I just gave answers to everybody. Had nothing better to do. It was like a full-time job, just answering them all. And the forum had moderators and the moderators like were, were Evan's team and they handled, they were supposed to do all the answering and uh, funnel the good questions up to Evan if he like, and so they were like, we don't have a job anymore. Like dude is crushing it. Like his answers are better than ours. They're longer than ours. They're faster than ours. He has more time. Like he's, I don't know how he's putting in so much time. I don't know how he's doing all this. It just, man, he's giving so much love to the forum. So uh, they passed it on to Evan. And Evan took notice, and he started checking out the answers. He's like, yeah, dude is super smart. I <laughs> so, so I uh, uh, I ended up meeting Evan for dinner. He he was like, hey, man, uh, I have a free Thursday slot. I don't know if you want to meet for dinner. It was like the most random thing ever. And Evan pitching a meeting to the random homeless guy. He didn't know I was homeless. I, no one knew. He's just like, let me meet, let me, this guy's weird. Let me check him out. And so we met and we met at 6 PM and we didn't leave the restaurant till 11 or midnight closing whenever it closes. Yeah. So we closed out the restaurant talking about life and brands and business and empires and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, yo, <laughs> like, you're hired. Yeah. Like basically, but it was gentle at first. Like we, you know, we should work on a small project or whatever. And I eventually told him I was homeless at that meeting. Like, it had to come out eventually. I was like, uh, well, okay, I'd love to help you, but just... I should be, you know, full disclosure. I may not have told you everything. Hmm. And he's like, hmm. All right, well. Like, we'll do a small project. This will get you some funds. We'll get the ball rolling and we'll see where it goes. And it just kind of grew from there. Like, uh, I ended up... He's my biggest client, longest client, greatest like greatest friend, like... Yeah, I don't know. That was a huge, a huge turning point. And so, for me, it wasn't like magically overnight. Oh, there we go. Everything's solved. It was just like I was still homeless, but I had a little more income. And then eventually, like, uh, I started working out of his office and sleeping at his office. And then eventually, I had my own place. And then, like, we yeah. built more and more stuff together.
0: Um, so, what I'm hearing is that as a homeless person, you found out it's too fucking expensive to die. <laughs> <laughs> and... That's right? true. Capitalism, you can't even die for free. That's true. <laughs> so then you just, out of boredom, decided to do something for free that was recognized as solid Value. work. Yeah. Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. What a story. It's insane. Wow. I don't even, like, I wake up every day and I'm like, I still, I still can't believe I'm here walking the earth. I thought it was over and I thought I was useless, but here Let's, I am.
0: That's more context than I think I've gotten for a long time behind someone's uh, backstory because, you know, I had to seize this opportunity to hear it, which kind of puts into perspective, I guess, your um, writing and the book that we're talking about. And despite my skepticism, I understand where you're coming from and that need, that drive to push beyond limits, whether they're um, limits in belief or evidence or whatever it is. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, this is a, a clear example of uh, when you don't know people's battles. You know, everyone's got their own battles, internal battles. And if you don't know where they're coming from, it's easy to, to judge prematurely. Yeah, well, and,
2: huge props to you.
0: Well, I try to, to restrain my judgment and try to put my own context out and, and then explain where I come from about these things without, as I explicitly said, trying to diminish your experience. Yeah. And just be honest with myself. I can't sit here and just say, yeah, those are things that I agree with. Right. So it's, it's a matter of of conversation. And as long as you can be respectful and there's dignity in the conversation, then I don't see why.
2: Yeah. I love how you conduct yourself and, and handle all the guests and all the different stories you get and different perspectives. It's really cool. Uh, I think the world could use a lot more, uh, (laughs) like that. Yes.
0: Thanks. Like, Maybe you can help me grow my audience. I can. Oh, 100% can. I can. 100% I can. Yeah. Jay Rice comes in today and he takes, my, uh, he takes my info sheet that I send out to people in case they're interested in the podcast. I send them an info sheet, which is literally a screenshot of a Word document that I put together just so people have the information. And he modifies it into this uh, visually pleasant (laughs) sort of thing (laughs) that, uh, that breaks down all the components of what I'm talking about into a, an easier to digest product. And it it looks a lot more user-friendly. So it's kind of like the idea of what you did with the, with the book, the table book, you don't need just writing, you put it into a visual format that's more appealing and kind of minimized.
2: Yeah. And I rise everything. Like it doesn't have to be a physical or digital product. Like I'm, I met sin and I'm like, let me rise your beliefs on addiction, health, sexuality, like my just, heart. I so, will amplify anything.
0: So yeah. let's talk about amplifying and rising those sexual things. Yeah. I mean, it's a kink podcast,
2: right? <laughs> right? You, know, you have to edit my whole backstory out, dude. No, nah, I don't know. I don't, I
0: don't think we should edit that out. I think it's a, it's a, it's a valuable thing to talk about. So when I, when you reached out to me, we talked, yes, there's the book, there's the t-shirts, there is the, the business and the kink and body shaming, which clearly comes from personal um, feelings that you decided to now have an active voice against because you know how harmful it is. Yeah. So where are you two now? What is your kink dynamic? Because there was another thing that you mentioned to me that you wanted to talk about.
1: Oh, um, Yes, because for a long time I was ashamed that I was interested in um, DDLG or CGL or what right. You heard called? the episode. I did. <laughs> I, yeah. I, we listened to it together. Yeah. So um, it was Kit, Kit, yeah. and C-
2: C- C- Cecilia or something.
0: Cecilia Morel. Yep. Kit and Ace. Uh, so it used to be Daddy Dom, little girl, which is one of the most taboo forms of kink. Uh, because it kind of incorporates age play, sometimes incest play, which are things that people are generally uncomfortable with unless they exercise it in a healthy manner. So we dedicated a lot of time talking about it. And now the, the new terminology that's come out is uh, caregiver little to be a little more inclusive. So yeah. you two, sorry, go on. You two are invested in some sort of form of CGL. Video, yeah. yeah,
1: if you choose to use that, <laughs> if that makes people more comfortable, more That terminology. Inclusive. CGL, then yes, we are in a CGL relationship. I am a little. um... (laughs)
0: That's that's a very little laugh. That was cute. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, and he is my daddy.
0: Okay. So that wasn't your initial dynamic. You said you used to be dominant,
1: (laughs) but it came
0: from a place of fear, it sounds like.
1: Well, um, or
0: sustained by fear at not being able to be vulnerable enough to admit your submissive side,
1: yeah. Um, I I started in BDSM when I was 19 um, on AOL,
0: the AOL (laughs) chat line. I I was there too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. deep death over here. That that was me, (laughs) yeah. I didn't even know how to spell death at that time. I I love it, yeah. I was chatting with uh, with. Humans online, they didn't know I was, I don't know, I was like 13 or something. That's such a
2: teenager name. Yeah. Yeah. Deep death. Yeah, man.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was me. Well, um, I was 19 um, when I found it online and I was introduced and um, I was afraid to let my guard down with people I didn't know. So it just felt easier to start as a dom because then I had control over the whole situation. And then I met somebody who... um, a woman a, a female dom who her goal was to to make more female doms because in her opinion there were too many male doms still the case <laughs> so um so yeah she she started to train me as a submissive but she saw something in me probably lots of anger and lots of hate towards the general world because i hated myself and um, so she trained me as a dom and um, so I played a lot that way and mastered my craft. I read all the books. I went to all the seminars, events, everything that I could. I was um, I lived in Florida at the time so I attended a lot of events that I could nearby because I'm from a really small town so I would drive hours to to learn and master my craft and um, and then I met my ex-husband who is submissive and it was the only thing I knew to be a dominant and as the relationship continued and I started to learn um oh I found more porn actually
0: (laughs) (laughs) always back to the (laughs) point (laughs) porn.
1: and I found this submissive porn that didn't turn me off like it was um it it, a lot of the stuff I had seen up to that point was a lot of um sadistic
0: degradation degradation humiliation
1: while i'm into that now back then there was no way so i just stayed away from it because i was again i didn't want to be perceived as weak i'm not a weak person um i was also a drug addict then too so that also fed into i'm an addict and i have all these issues and um so i don't know i just felt like it was easier for me to stay in that dom role and...
0: To presume a sort of facade of control.
1: Yeah, because I had no control over anything else. Um, well, I didn't think I did. I did, but I just thought that, oh, this is just my life. I'm meant to be an addict. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was an active addiction for a couple years with my ex-husband, and uh, one day I just had enough, well... It sounds like, I made it sound like, oh, one day I had an overdose and woke up in ICU and they had, I had married my husband high and, um.
0: May I ask on what?
1: I was, uh, sure. I was a, a heroin addict. Okay. Um, so I used to shoot heroin and coke, um, uh, commonly referred to as speed balls.
2: Now you don't even drink.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been clean, uh, for 13 years, Valentine's day, I celebrated my 13th anniversary. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Um, that's the day that I decided to start making good choices. So, um, yeah, when I woke up from, from the overdose, and I pulled out the, the breathing tubes and they all were freaking out because they had told my parents, Holy. my ex-husband, they were like, you have to say goodbye. She's like, she's not going to wake up. And then the next day I did so, I freaked everyone out and I was like, okay, I woke up after all that i I can't keep doing this so um we moved we my ex husband and I gave up our everything and um we moved he's from he's from uh Europe he's from Hungary, so we took one suitcase and left our jobs. I mean, not that they were great at the time, but we left our home. I had a home that my parents purchased for me. I had, you know, a brand new car. I mean, I was spoiled for many years by my parents, which allowed, that fed my addiction. So I gave everything up to get clean because I saw it as a chance to start over. Did you move to Hungary? Yeah. Yeah. I lived there for 10 months. And um, yeah, so I got clean and... I came back to the States or went back to the States to, um, to start my life over after I, um, had, you know, had my baby and everything. I felt more secure and safe. Um, but yeah, I still was fucked up in my head because a few years later I was wanting to use again I was reaching for it looking for because I hadn't addressed any of the issues that had like triggered the addiction and all the shit I did so and I found Tony Robbins actually it was uh in a used bookstore it was like a a bootleg copy of one of his books on CD and I bought it for like a dollar and it was the reason why I never picked up again so yeah and then um so, yeah, like I said, 13 years. And when we met, I was at the end of my marriage. Like, I knew it was over. It had been, like, two or three years where I was like, I can't dominate this man anymore. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to. Like, this is not the role I want. But I was secretly watching the porn. And him and I were in a poly relationship, so I talked to other men. And every single person I talked to was a dominant. And... um I just, I knew, but I still wasn't admitting it. And then when we met, I I kind of threw myself at him and he wasn't interested whatsoever. Like he wasn't interested in anybody. And, um, his, and I told him that I was dominant and he's like, yeah, but those are some pretty submissive comments. <laughs> like um, digging
0: at, Digging at your soul there.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, like I tell him everything. Like, I I can, I've been able to tell him things I've never told anybody in my life and just telling him like the things that I like that I was into, I didn't come out and say like, I'm a little at the time because I didn't even really know. I just knew that I like to suck my thumb when I had an orgasm. That's, but I never, you know, that was, that was secret. I'm like, yeah, it sounds time. super <laughs> dominant. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my God. It is possible. Telling him things like this and he's like. Are you sure? Like so, I yeah, so I started to question myself, and I had to admit, like who who I was for real. And so I had to tell my husband that, hey, dude, I'm not. I don't love you, and I don't want to dominate you, and I don't want to be with you, and
0: can't do this anymore.
1: Yeah, can't lie anymore. (sighs) So it felt like the most amazing. This is still the most amazing gift he's ever given me was teaching me, um, that I had value and that, um, no matter what, whether I was dumb or show, it, it didn't matter because I had value and I had to believe in myself. And from there I was able to, um, fix, fix myself, I guess, change myself. Um, because at the time, even though I was clean from street drugs, I was taking, uh, pain medicine for my Rheumatoid arthritis and my fibromyalgia. Um, even though I was monitored by a doctor, didn't matter. My body still.
0: They gave you opioids. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but for me, it was like a vitamin because I wasn't getting high.
0: No, it just takes the edge off. It
1: was just helping yeah. me get out of bed, and yeah. but I like. Do
2: you have experience? It sounds like.
0: I had to take uh, I had to take some opioids when I had uh, kidney stones, and when I had my wisdom teeth taken out. And even just being on it um, for a week, I felt kind of like a zombie when I had um. the when I had the wisdom teeth taken out, and mm. then with the kidney stones, the perks were doing nothing. They had to give me when I went to emergency intravenous uh, hydromorphone, which was the closest I've ever experienced to the description of heroin. Actually, being uh. enveloped by a blanket of like yes. love. And then they gave me hydromorphone and pills. So I saw the, I saw how dangerous it could be. Right. Because that feeling, it it took the edge off and all the pain in my kidney just felt like this pulsating kind of like nothing that I could ignore. Right. Right. So I had, I finished off that, I polished off the the hydromorphone afterwards and I kind of scared myself out of wanting to touch them again just Uh because I saw how, I saw how kind of uh, dangerous this path could be. Mm -hmm. It was um, too
1: good. Felt too good, yeah?
0: Yeah, it felt good. But then after a while, too, it also diminished a lot of things that I really enjoyed. Right. Like sex, like I wasn't able to, right. you know. So if you're on a, a regiment of, of opioids, it kind of takes away everything till you're left with this, like, strange apathy and yes. nothing really feels wow. like anything anymore.
1: Right. Like I said, um, my ex-husband and I were high when we got married. Yeah. I married in September and we didn't have sex until February. after wow. Because we were like... Let's get high. Like sex? Better drugs. than sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: Weird honeymoon.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. There yeah. was the, like, this was the beginning of our marriage. I mean, it should have been a huge flag for me, but whatever. You know, I have an amazing child. My son is 12 and I'm super blessed and I wouldn't change any of that because all that crap made me who I am today. So.
0: And now you can use Valentine's to celebrate self-love. <laughs> yeah,
2: Absolutely. right.
0: It's your celebration of self-love. Yes, yeah. it is. And yeah. your rediscovery. So. I mean, both of you seem to have overcome some Pretty really hardcore. Yeah, hardcore adversity. There's weird similarities and distinctions in your path from audio and video porn <laughs> to you know, uh, drug abuse and homelessness and then overcoming it. And the similarities seem to have come through self-help for both of you in the form of, in your case, Tony Robbins' uh, sin. And in your case, it was, remind me of the name... Evan
2: Carmichael.
0: Evan Carmichael. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: And this is weird sitting here with you because my whole take on self-help is, is polar opposite. But I really appreciate hearing yeah. this angle of the people that it does help because I try to level my skepticism to the point of acknowledging that it's not my criticism isn't against the people who are interested in self-help. I'm critical of the self-help industry as a sort of neoliberal phenomenon where I feel like it can take advantage of people, but I also have to recognize the amount of people that self-help does actually work for. And it's nice to 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 level my perspective with um stories and experiences from
2: people who actually have
0: them. So thank you for that. Um, our pleasure, yes, man. My and pleasure.
2: and I mean uh Like for in the kink community for for shame and stuff, there's there's so much guilt and shame and anxiety, like bottled up, repressed feelings. Um, I'm not sure what else you could tackle it with other than self-help. Like those are personal issues with a personal person, an individual person. and It's on them to solve it. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, in the... What other approach? Could you just inject them with opioids and their shame goes away? No,
0: no, no. I mean, uh, the way I see it is there's a self-help industry and then there's individual self-help yeah because i I mean the history of self-help is 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 wide and it initially started as groups like alcoholics anonymous was considered self-help but that's not typically what we mean today today we mean a sort of like easy to digest philosophy that you find in a book or in a program online that you're that you're made yeah that you're made to feel responsible for doing on your own and then if you fail or succeed it's up to you
2: yeah they have no responsibility
0: yeah so there's Obviously, in the kink communities, I find that there's, uh, we do have a good basis of solidarity, uh, which helps through collective education and more of a communal response to these sorts of issues. So if you can penetrate the community and participate uh, safely then I think you get the benefit of the support that's here. But mm-hmm. that also depends on your access to this community. Where you live is one, is a geographical factor. Right. What family you have, if you're living at home with your parents, how out you can be about your participation. Very true. And the consequences that would come if you were discovered by your family or whoever is, you know, uh, causing that guilt and shame to, to continue. Yeah, For yeah. Yeah. it's a
2: nice one. That's true. Both good.
0: <laughs> so I think that, I mean... To put, to put this all together, I think there's there's different types of self-help, so I have to be careful in uh, my... Painting with the brush. Yeah, in my, <laughs> in my sort of um, address, because I'm specifically critical of the self-help industry as a sort of like watered down, you know, nugget. And like, here's your fortune cookie and go help yourself.
2: That's a really good uh, distinction. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think there's there's definitely legitimate forms of of self help, and I think a lot of people do benefit from them. I just I'm trying to yeah, navigate navigate yeah. the yeah. waters. Well, yeah. You yeah. have
1: to really want it. Like, I mean, I had been watching. Like, i I found Jay through watching Evan Carmichael's videos. So, like, he would mention him in these videos occasionally. Evan like, would
2: mention me. Yeah, yeah, like
1: he he had a video where he introduced him, and like. um Like you mentioned him when you did the sore video, like, um, so like I had seen him, but I really didn't pay much attention because I still was not ready to make any real changes. Like I was taking all these little baby steps. I I would like get up at five in the morning and go for a walk. And then I would go home and stare at my art because I'm an artist. So I would just stare at all my art supplies for hours and hours and hours. And I had like no direction, no focus, no clarity, no nothing. So I how, I couldn't be better because I had none of those things. I had none of these basic skills.
2: Well, you could be rich. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> I had none. And like I said, I was taking these baby steps. And then when I met Jay, he was like, well, you know, you don't need to take those baby steps. You just need to believe in yourself first because that is your problem. It was, like you don't see your value and you don't believe in yourself. And I was like, wait, what?
2: I'm valuable. What? Everyone is.
1: Yeah, like we just put, we just made a video for YouTube. Yeah, like everybody, everybody is valuable, and so many people, especially people who are ashamed of themselves. Yeah, all the shamed
2: people, all the repressed people, they're valuable, man, and their kinks are valuable. They just
1: use it. They just. Don't believe that they don't believe in themselves. Well, they I don't own. know who
2: convinced them they're not their kinks are like worthless and terrible. Like, I think there's yeah there's well there's systematic
0: factors there's cultural yes, factors right both. that yes. that op- oppress and marginalize people and you know hopefully through work like this one change the system we and can yeah we can slowly gain more visibility for acceptance and try to form the types of solidarity that I envision for, absolutely uh, for people to be able to, to feel okay with being themselves and finding healthy ways to exercise those things. Yeah. Your podcast is doing I love it. it. Yes. I hope so. yes. <laughs> well, the last thing that I want to ask you before I let you go, I think we've covered a lot and there's we a lot have. of food for <laughs> thought here. We've covered a lot. Um, and I'm glad I didn't know too much about you two before you came in. Cause this made for a very interesting experience. Rewarding, I should say. Interesting is a bad word. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Interesting like and rewarding. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So the last thing I'll ask you is if you have a, hopefully a collective, wild, uh, outrageous, sexy story, perhaps.
2: It's the last thing I usually bus stop. ask. <laughs> yeah. Bus stop. I, I like that. <laughs> Let's go with the bus stop. It's the most insane story.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh, I think this is all you. <laughs>
1: um... Okay, so before we met, I couldn't orgasm. I had a very hard time even masturbating. It took me a very, very long time because I was not watching the porn I wanted to watch, and like I was the volume. I I couldn't hear it, so yeah, and um, so I struggled with that. And after meeting him, um,
2: you came to visit. Like
1: I came to, I went to visit him. I came here to Toronto because I, I lived in New York. And um, I found this energy. Like, I already knew we had energy between us and chemistry, and I was super attracted to him. And But, like, meeting him was totally different, and um, I learned that I could orgasm without, like, being touched in the normal, quote-unquote normal places <laughs> that other people assume i mean i can like that as well but like um Yo, tantra he, does it all the time though. yeah like he would touch me like in behind my knee and i could orgasm he could huh. look at me now i mean then not so much but now yeah
0: i'm gonna avoid eye contact with him
1: for a minute <laughs> <laughs> so we were <laughs> we were at a bus stop and he we had been playing around with like different like you know, he was touching me in different places to see like where, where it was sensitive and where he could touch me to orgasm and we were just standing there and it was really cold I think and we we're just hugging and he touched my back and I felt like he had just put his fingers inside me like
2: okay if, but there was like a line of people outside at the little yeah. pool and there was there was Two people inside the bus stop. One tall black dude with a big puffy bomber jacket, and some other like little Asian grandma type person. And the bus shelters are not uh, not that big. If you ever stand in a bus shelter with four people—one tall, one one short, one—and the two of us, or two two other people, you know, like you can like you're like a breath away from these people.
1: Yeah, they were like.
2: So right I'm just there. setting the scene. Go yeah,
1: ahead. Yeah, and he was touching my back in the secret spot that I have. <laughs> and um and I had an orgasm like in front of all these people and I was completely blown away and I he held me up because I almost fell and to me like they had no clue as far as I know. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't like act like any different. I felt like I just made a porn in front of all these strangers and it was pretty liberating and empowering and it felt amazing and yeah so that's, it was,
0: that's fucking hot
1: <laughs> it was it was really hot it was i'm insane, gonna pay a dude. lot more
0: attention to people in bus stops. just saying you never know you never know yeah.
2: you see somebody look at like their fainting they might be coming i mean those people go home to work it's like hey honey how was your day You'll never guess what happened at the bus stop. Like, I don't know if they knew. Yeah,
0: yeah. this person almost fainted. <laughs> I, I thought something was going
2: to happen. Yeah. I almost called 911.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Before you. I let you both go, this is your chance to plug away. Where can people find you, your business, your personal things, whatever you'd like to share?
1: Okay. Um, RiseKink.com is our website, R Y Z E Kink.com. Um, rice kink on youtube rice kink on um, instagram twitter and facebook yeah that's
2: it's rice kink everywhere rice kink all right just yeah yeah, yeah. so rice kink, kink everywhere
1: kink. rice kink thank everybody. you both
2: thank you man really thank you an very absolute much pleasure. you're, you're listening, listening to intellectual Rack. erection a place First where we, we talk, talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking, thinking.